Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Zimmerman, AVP, Client Content and Strategy with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, we'll be discussing human understanding in the fifth revolution. Joining me to unpack this heady topic are Ryan Donahue, Strategic Advisor at NRC Health, and Jorge Torres, Managing Partner at JIT Associates. Ryan and Jorge, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Glad to be with you, Brian. So we'll start with some introductions here. I'm going to tap on each of you to begin and really just talk a bit about your roles and professional backgrounds. So Jorge, why don't you go ahead and kick us off there? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, Jorge Torres, I'm an outsider from healthcare. I started recently in this amazing industry. I'm a mechanical and electrical engineer with a lot of experience in um, you know more than 15 countries. And I've always been, been specialized in... in um, understanding why people can behave differently and different depending on the different environments. Because of that, I, re, I decided to start an MBA specialized in organizational behavior. And um, ever since, you know, for the last 25 years, working on how to design transform cultures. And in one of the projects that I had, I had the opportunity working with the Disney Institute that allowed me to understand, or that's when I read the Fred Lee's uh, book of Disney Run Your Hospital. And I realized um, you know, the, the, yeah, that's when I got to understand a little bit about this industry. And, and based on out of that experience, I had opportunity to work in a hospital here in Miami and understood, um, you know, getting involved in um, HCAPs and patient experience. And I ever since been working, helping most of my clients is uh, on the healthcare industry, making sure that employees are motivated, engaged and trained in order for them to behave, to create the best um, potential experience. Thank you for sharing that, Jorge. I think that context will be helpful for listeners as we move through this conversation. Ryan, uh, why don't you go ahead and take that question? Well, similar to Jorge, I, I don't think I ever thought I would end up in healthcare. I started out outside of healthcare. I came up through the marketing route, did a lot of work in media, Sports Illustrated, Turner, uh, and I came to healthcare using a lot of the terms that I adopted before then, things like marketing and consumerism and brand strategy and Back in 2006, when I arrived in the healthcare industry, I got a lot of strange looks, but over years and years and more than a decade now of a lot of webinars, podiums, a lot of research, NRC Health sits in front of the largest consumer study of healthcare in America. And so I don't get as many strange looks now, which is a metric of success for me. Uh, and it's, it's a fascinating time where we're paying more attention than ever to the individual patient and consumer. A lot of that work has culminated in my recent book that I co-wrote with Dr. Stephen Clasco called Patient No Longer. And so I'm very excited to be here talking about this today. Excellent. And, and Stephen Clasco, of course, is a, is a good friend of Breckers. We, we interview him quite often. So it's great to have you here, Ryan. Um, you know, from a people management perspective, this is an exceptionally challenging time for healthcare. I think that's you know obvious to everyone. Um, but what can hospital and health system leaders do to both ensure their staff are adequately and compassionately supported while also performing at a really high level? Because, of course, uh, that's still absolutely necessary to deliver excellent patient care. Jorge, do you want to tackle that one first? Sure. And, and it's interesting what you said is compassionately supported. That means that we need to create a perception inside, you know, our employees' uh, uh, mind that we've been compassionate. And at the end of the day, it boils down to do we force them or do we inspire them for them to be motivated? And, and the motivation, which comes, by the way, from the Latin mocha, which is motion, what makes you move, has to do more with 
organizations focusing on how can we reinforce motivators more than satisfactors. Many, many organizations waste millions of dollars trying to thinking that money is uh, gonna motivate them when in reality money is just satisfactor, just as how good or bad is your office or the facilities. But motivation comes from sense of belonging, sense of relevance and sense of achievement. So an employee is not gonna be supported if I'm not listened. It's not gonna feel supported if I don't have the tools for me to work. I'm not gonna be feel supported if, you don't, if I don't have the training so it, it, it always organizations must focus on sense of belonging. What are the things we must do for them to feel part of a team? Sense of relevance. How do we ensure that they understand why they exist, why, why we exist as an organization and the relevance of their job within our organization and sense of achievement? How do we systematically reinforce the fact that there's a lot of achievements on a personal and professional level and how to make that really feel from coming from the core, from their hearts, more than just giving them a, you know, pat in the back and say, hey, hooray, good job, uh, uh, well done. So that's a big challenge. Uh, sense of belonging, sense of relevance, sense of achievement, um, and, and really being heard uh, is really necessary to achieve all of those, correct, Jorge? That is correct. And the core for that to happen is the frontline leadership. And here's one of the things that I've seen coming from the outside as a big issue and it happens in many industries is uh, when, when, when corporations were created, they copycat the structure of the army. So you have the general, the, you know, like the CEO, the colonel and so on. But the most important leadership position in the army is a sergeant because he's a sergeant that is in the front line executing the day-to-day -day strategy that comes from top. But what happens in corporations and, and a lot in, in healthcare is we have a good nurse that we train for months or, or years with a great attitude. And all of a sudden we, trans we, we uh, call that nurse to the office, we applaud and we say, congratulations, you've been promoted to supervisor or to manager. And we send them back to the front line without leadership experience. So we transform a really good employee to a really so-so leader. So the core of, to, to ensure that we have this sense of belonging, sense of achievement and sense of relevance in, in a consistent way, we got to make sure that we have really good frontline leadership. Thank you, Jorge. R Ryan, what would you add here? Well, it's interesting, you know, what I always, I always appreciate working with Jorge and listening to him too. And when he's talking about motivation and, you know, feeling valued and, and wanting leadership to listen to you, those are all things that are 100% true of the healthcare workforce right now, whether it's a, a doctor or a nurse or a security guard or an administrator, but they're also 100% true of the patient. There's such a reflexive quality to this. And so when we're asking people who have had a recent patient experience, or maybe they haven't for a few years, they're just a consumer out there who's gonna need healthcare at some point, they say the same things. They wanna feel valued as a person. They wanna be motivated to get healthcare. Right now, a fourth of this country is delaying some form of healthcare. They're deferring their care. They need motivation in the same way that employees do, but the problems, the challenges are reflexive as well. Not feeling valued, being worried about the volume of care, the access, putting it off. You know, you've got burnout on both sides with both employees and patients. And of course, we know when that meets in the middle, we have a really tough challenge in workforce, something that feels very intractable. Um, but I think the answers to solving it are, are not just looking at the workforce in a bubble, but 
trying to look at the entire environment and all of the people that are involved with that. Thank you so much. And, and I think what you laid out there too is like a, around folks not feeling valued. It, it, it seems to me that that can create sort of a, a culture uh, that, that feels transactional in nature, transactional for patients, transactional for, for clinicians. How can, I'm curious if you can draw out the distinction here between what a transactional culture looks like and the culture you're sort of presenting that could, that can be achieved, uh, that, that is driven by relationships and, 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 um, this, this understanding and this belonging, Jorge, can you talk about that? Sure. Sure. And, and I, I think you just hit the nail right on the head because at the end of the day, when I have a, a transactional culture, it means that I'm just here for the check. You know, you pay me and I'll do what you tell me to do. I'm never going to go the extra mile. And that happens when I don't feel part of a team, when I don't see the relevance of what I do, when I'm not inspired to move forward or go the extra mile, even if that doesn't, is not part of my job description. But most of the organizations have set up transactional uh, uh, cultures. As, as a matter of fact, the name HR implies that it's a transaction. We just were like buying napkins or water. I buy your time. You give me your time and I'll give you a check. So the thing is, is and that's a challenge that is happening uh, worldwide in all industries. It's not in healthcare. It's organizations are, are, are having difficulties, uh, you know, motivating and retaining new, newer generations because they have different motivators and they think differently. And, and it's when you, you combine different uh, generations in the workforce and also different generations between the workforce and the clients, in this case, the patients, then it's really, really tough. But at the end of the day is people will feel much more motivated when they believe that what they're doing is more transcendental. That's something that goes beyond myself, that resonates with me. And at the end of the day, boils down to with human understanding, it's exactly that. It's obviously understanding what this particular person, one by one, wants and needs and thinks, but boils down to understanding that we all are humans and what makes us human is in the core and when we have organizations that adjust their uh, structures, their policies, their procedures, their leadership skills to make it more transcendental, it doesn't matter if you're going to be with us, Brian, in this organization for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. But as long as you're with us, we're going to help you become the best person you can be, the best professional as well. And by the way, while you are with us, you're going to help us achieve our culture purpose our organizational purpose. And, and, and that's when people, regardless of generation, all of them react to the same and get aligned and, and um, they start performing to their max. Yeah, it sounds like it's really about everyone seeing the big picture. Everybody who's a part of the organization can tell you what the big picture is. Um, Ryan, can you can you build on, on those comments and, and, and talk about what that might look like in practice in healthcare, because I imagine it's it it, it might be kind of easy easy to conceptualize this. Yeah, everyone needs to to know about the big picture, but I also imagine there's a lot of daily discipline that goes into communicating that, right? 
there's a lot of daily discipline and it depends on where it's contained. You know, we've, we've taken our compassion and we've concentrated it just in the physical patient experience. So I'm receiving traditional care. I'm in a gown, I'm in front of you and the nurse has to knock it out of the park and the doctor has to listen and be attentive to everything. And, you know, it's got to flow perfectly, but the problem is our compassion should start before that and it should extend after, um, you know, you think about the beginning of a healthcare journey. When we talk to consumers, their journey starts, the majority say, when they're sensing an issue at home, and of course, their first real step is looking online. They're not part of traditional healthcare yet, and yet they've already started a journey and taken their first few steps. There is nothing compassionate about trying to book an appointment in healthcare these days and being met with, you know, we're not scheduling for three months, or talking to someone on the phone who doesn't want to talk to you. And so the transactional qualities begin right away. Think about an American right now who's fortunate enough to have healthcare coverage. The first thing you've done is gone through open enrollment and seen how much you're going to take a bath paying for care. That's right now in January. And then you're going to go through the year trying to manage that. Once we get into the traditional healthcare experience, of course, compassion needs to be present, but it needs to start before that. A smile, asking someone if they need something, trying to be compassionate during access, which is one of the biggest issues consumers bring. And then in the back end, you know, the jury doesn't stop just because I get discharged. And one of the most painful transactions I can have is paying for that care, which is often the last major touchdown. We're not that compassionate in most billing offices. And we don't give guidance to people who are going to remember those last few steps of that journey trying to pay for care. So I think our compassion needs to follow throughout the consumer journey, including in contexts that we're not as comfortable with because it's not traditional healthcare. But for us to rehumanize healthcare, something Jorge and I feel very passionate about, we've got to look at the entire journey and say, where can we spread that compassion out and not concentrate it just when someone's in front of us? And of course, technology is sort of underpinning all of this, right? In terms of our, our human relationship to technology and how it's um, changing the experience of, of, of seeking care and also the, the, the experience of, of being a, a healthcare worker. So Jorge, can you tell us a, a bit more about the, the fifth industrial revolution and how that's going to play out in healthcare and what really should listeners understand about this trend? You know, it, it's, I'm glad you're asking the question because this is a concept that I learned kind of recently in a philosophy class. I, I knew about the first uh, second revolution, the third one potentially. I had heard from the World Economic Forum, the fourth revolution, but never heard of the fifth revolution. And when I heard about it, it made all sense. And in a nutshell, it says, you know, before the first revolution, people, human beings had a strong sense of purpose and belonging, a, a sense maybe empirical of what life was supposed to be, what human being was supposed to be. But then the first revolution started in, you know, in the 19s, in, you know, 1780s. And we, you know, then the, the mass production during the 1800s and the third revolution was computer systems, automation. We're currently living the fourth one, which is the cyber physical, you know, the, the in, uh, internet of things, the artificial intelligence. And during these 200 or something years, you know, we've lost as human beings, the sense of what being human is about. It's what is called the dehumanization. Because during all these, uh, you know, uh, four revolutions, we've lost that sense of purpose. Uh, everything became a transaction as we, we talked a few minutes ago. Even HR implies that everything is a transaction. And, and this is when people, you know, when, when we pulled people from before the first revolution, we pulled them from their towns 
to a big city just to pull a lever all day long, they lost that sense of purpose, that sense of belonging. That's when alcoholism, drug addiction started. And at this point in time, you know, we see society being lost. But what you know, sociologists, psychologists, uh, you know, philosophers believe is that there's these newer generations are gravitating towards humanistic or human um, type of uh, uh, quests or uh, issues. For example, if they the, the green, uh, um, you know, the environment is something that is is transcendental for them. So they, or they see a stray dog on the, the street, they do a GoFundMe campaign to save that, uh, that, that dog. So what they believe is that there's gonna be a humanistic revolution in which those few organizations that can adjust and move from you know, transactional to transcendental relation, relationship with, sense, you know, with strong sense of purpose, with strong sense of relevance, and with strong sense of relationship with personal time, you know, they they will be the ones that will survive because people, you know, will get motivated because they feel that, uh, and you know, they're going to be engaged because they feel they're working for something that go that is goes beyond themselves. It strikes me hearing you speak about this, Jorge, too, just how you know healthcare is supposed to be so mission driven, and it, it just seems like this is such a for, for folks to get the big picture in terms of healthcare delivery. It just seems very fitting that this should be an industry that is transformed by this idea of, of, of that mission-driven sense, that humanistic approach to dealing with your workforce and your patients. Ryan, can you can you build on Jorge's comments? You know, it's really interesting because I do think there is, a, a, the pendulum is swinging back and there's something afoot with consumers and patients. And I think as hospital executives, administrators have been stuck in, uh, you know, financial heck and, you know, spreadsheets just you know zapping their time and trying to balance the numbers and crunch the numbers and you know looking at some really stark financial realities um, I think that consumers of patients have noticed something they don't want just a transactional relationship especially when the stakes are high and the stakes are no higher than in healthcare four out of five Americans feel that healthcare is the most important industry that should meet or even exceed their expectations and how do we even know what their expectations are if we don't have a relationship that again starts before the patient experience we're seeing consumers say a differentiator like compassionate care is more important to them now than it was 10 years ago. There was a time in 2005, 2010, where we kind of became obsessed with technology. We're getting our first iPhones and consumers started to shift and say, I want advanced technology and the best doctors and, you know, coordinated care and EMR access. And now they've got a lot of those things. We can press the easy button on like every facet of our lives. And now we're seeing people say, I want compassionate care. And that used to sort of be a given in healthcare, but we found that healthcare can be quite uncompassionate. And so that's something that I think people are yearning for. Like Jorge says, they want a deeper meaning that doesn't come from faster internet, that doesn't come from a more interesting transaction of something you used to do manually. I think at this point, we've done a lot of that and that's had its good, but I think we need to restore the humanity to healthcare. And it's the perfect industry to start because it's the industry that needs it the most. And I can think of a uh, few things more dehumanizing than spending hours and hours in a spreadsheet. I think that is, sounds very <laughs> difficult indeed. Um, you know, Jorge, Ryan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Do do either of you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to perhaps reemphasize or we didn't get to you want to share with our listeners? Jorge, we can we can start with you. Yeah, I have quite a few, but I'm going to focus on one. And it's it's I think the industry focus on what the patient wants and not what the patient needs. And, and what uh, 
you know, uh, Ryan just mentioned, you know, uh, you know it, it, it rings a bell in the fact that I was born and raised before cell phone existed. And it was a we, a teamwork environment. If I had to communicate, I would need to pick up the phone or walk and see and have that personal personal relationship with that person. But nowadays, just emails, hundreds of emails and text. And, and if we move from the we to the I, my rights, what I want, what I need, the iPhone, the iPad. So we need to go move out of the I into the we by establishing this uh, relationship before we actually think about, you know, the the the, the best new, uh, um, you know, process, the best new technology. If we don't have the basics, which is understanding who are we dealing with, how can we make them feel better? Thank you, Jorge. Ryan, what would you add? Well, I just appreciate this opportunity. And I think, you know, you've you've listened to this idea of the human at the core. And, you know, as much as NRC Health talks about our patient-centered care, we're one of the largest providers of CAP surveys. They're the largest consumer survey. But our mission is actually human understanding. What we found is we have to cut beneath those levels. And at the core, everyone's a human, whether in the workforce or receiving care or someone out there who needs care. And so we're in the human business. And I think the way Jorge talks about it is individual people who have value um, and, and the ways in which we take that and we warp it when we, per we turn it into a spreadsheet or a number or a transaction, I think we really need to continually remind ourselves that we're human and the people we serve are human. And again, that this industry is the one that needs humanization the most. It is the most impactful and most important. If you can't be treated as a human when you're receiving healthcare, what else matters? And so I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. I agree. Ryan, Jorge, thank you so much for your time and really unpacking this topic with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. We also want to thank our podcast sponsor, NRC Health. You can tune to more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com slash podcasts.